Hello and welcome to Walking Three Worlds. Um, it's been a while, and uh, the great thing about this episode is that we're going to introduce Uncle Charles, who's also starting his first podcast. And we'll hear more about that in a moment. But I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, particularly the Yuggera and the Turrbal people, and all the elders past and present. And we acknowledge and respect all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of this land and all the people that come together on this land and share that with them. And Uncle Charles Passy, how are you? We finally get in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, we definitely do need to have a yarn. I think there's so much that um, out there that um, this country needs, you know, just, just a yarn. Exactly. There's so many questions. There's so many um, things that, that, that need to be spoken about that are, that are not being spoken about. So thanks, Greg, for, for this opportunity to have this yarn. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to not only what, but because it's a, it, it, it's a real chance for me to get what's off my chest too. Uh, look, this is, this is the beauty. For those of you who've not looked at... Uh, Uncle Charles Passy's history. I'm going to give you a little snapshot of that. We'll also put the the bigger version up on um, the new Facebook page that will be set up and then the website. And obviously you can find all these details on my website at um, walkinthreeworlds.com with the number three, that is, walkinthreeworlds.com. We're here at the new JMC Academy Studios too and uh, we're going to thank them at the end of this because they've been just fabulous to let Uncle Charles and I come together here. We'd been talking about having a conversation that sort of we want to be very logical and rational. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's been fired up, particularly uh, I know a lot of my friends and family don't even understand what this um, voice to parliament is about, but this is not why we're here. We're here to do a whole lot of work and um, you have a listen to a lot of the wisdom that this – Beautiful Torres Strait Islander man holds. It's um, it's it's very rare for someone to be able to hear the depth of his knowledge. And I've had the pleasure of of hearing some of that in our preamble before we've come here. But for those of you who don't know, Charles Passy was born into the traditional responsibility of land ownership and preservation of cultural traditions in both Mur and Erub Islands. Did I say that right? Erub, Erub, in the Torres Strait. So this gentleman is a true Torres Strait Islander, through and through. Um, he draws his interpretations from his very deep cultural connections and through his birthright is a proud Merriam and the eldest son of David and Dave and Lena Passy. He believes that sharing his culture of communal sharing of responsibility and respect will help heal the dysfunctions in our world as its earthly philosophies are based on ensuring positive relationships between ourselves and with all our environment. He embraces the challenge to influence and participate in leading Aboriginal affairs in the country to new and profound heights of positive connection and representation. Some of his past uh, involvements have been a former member of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Advisory Group to the Domestic and Family Violence Implementation Council. He was the former chair of the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Healing Foundation, which was based in Canberra, still, still exists. And Charles believes in his abilities as a visionary and with his experience and insight has committed himself to the redevelopment of current practices in providing real and sustainable positive solutions 
to the issues plaguing our people mm -hmm. and our culture and our communities. He's also very active in many, many um, different organisations um, and universities as well. Um, his father, the late David Passy, was also one of the successful litigants in the Marbo and others High Court case in 1992. So he brings deep insight into the native title. Uh, he brings deep, deep insight in around the healing and unification of the uh, First Nations people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, with now other people that obviously live on this land and share this space. Um, we're going to unpack a lot. Um, mm. I also mentioned that we're starting, this is the very first uh, podcast for Uncle Charles himself, and so I'm honoured to have him um, on my sort of rebirth of Walking Three Worlds. His podcast is called The Message with Uncle Charles Passy, and with this he is the messenger of some really deep insights that you're not going to hear um, and bring the discussion back into the sacred ways that uh, Torres Strait Islander people and First Nations Aboriginal people, uh, both the Indigenous mobs, um, want to share, want to share their history. So, Uncle Charles, I think without further ado, I'd like to open the floor for you to bring forward whatever is most on your mind that you'd like to start this first episode of The Message. Oh, thank, thank you, Greg. Um, you know, first of all, you know, as the, the son of Dave Passy, one of the plaintiffs of the Mabo, another's decision, I want to pay my respects, you know, but pay my respects in a way where, where I'm actually an alien walking on this country. I came here without proper cultural permission, um, the traditional custodians weren't given that opportunity to give me that proper welcome to, to, to walk on this country and live here mm. and prosper in this land. So I want to acknowledge that um, and hopefully we can move southeast Queensland to a point where that can be truly done and given the, the honour to the traditional custodians the right to welcome properly, welcome visitors to this country. Um, especially for, not only myself, but also Torres Strait Islanders, mm. that we're also recognised as, 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 as Indigenous people to this country also. But to this region, we're, we're aliens, just mm. like every, 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 everyone else that's not from here. So I want to acknowledge um, the great, great creator that has given the traditional custodians the, the right to look after this space many, many, many thousands of years ago. And in their care... They've kept this country beautiful and prosperous and powerful to a point where we're now today um, benefit, benefiting from it. So I, I give my honour and respect and promise that while I'm on this, this country, I'll do my utmost to respect it and make sure um, that it's looked after and I do whatever I can to assist in in being a part of the magic of, of healing country. So that's what I want to look at, um, not only for Southeast Queensland, but for Torres Strait, for Queensland, and for this whole country. I think we're in a space where um, 
um, everything's in the palm of our hands in terms of Aboriginal affairs. We've been given so much more opportunities to have people sitting in, in, you know, the highest forms of leadership in the country, you know. We've got uh, our own Aboriginal Trust Islander politicians. We've got um, high-profile Aboriginal Trust Islander people in, in government sector, in the corporate sector, in, in, in quite high places. Um, so we're in a place like never before. Um, the thing for me, though, and I think we're, we're, we're struggling to get it right, is how we get our people working in a space that we 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 get the the benefit out of it, out of those opportunities. Just for our listeners, um, a lot of people hear Torres Strait Islanders, and um, you know they they don't necessarily know what that means or where Torres Strait Islanders come from, and how did they get wrapped up into the bundle of um, you know the second sort of group of indigenous people. Um, so do you want to give a little bit of a, a sort of a snapshot of Torres Strait Islanders, how, how many islands that represents and where it's actually positioned if you were looking at a map of Australia? Well, basically, um, Torres Strait is, the, is, is the, the strait, the gap between the tip of Queensland and the coast of Papua New Guinea. Mm. So that's the Torres Strait. As opposed to on the other side of the country, you've got the Bass Strait between the mainland of Australia and Tasmania. My homeland, and I was thinking about this, um, yeah. just you come from the islands on the north, I come from the furthest island on the south as a sixth-generation convict descendant, you know, placed there. And here part of this conversation is about seeing ourselves as potentially coming from these different islands onto the mainland, as you rightly point out, really sort of now um, bringing together our deeper understanding of mainland Aboriginal people and the fact, as you mentioned, you know, not having permission initially when you came here and I'm equally, my ancestors didn't either, you know, that whole colonisation um that sort of rolled out and, and, you know, my family were all part of being dragged out here as she was a convict at a young age in Tasmania. So, yeah, Bass Strait, Van Diemen's Land, <laughs> which had a name change in, what, 1850, and Torres Strait up there with many islands. How many islands up there? Oh, there's, there's quite, quite a lot of islands in there. Um, I think there's a probably... Um, Oh, 18, I think, mm. communities that are, that, that are uh, islands that are inhabited. Um, Where did it get its name, the Taurus? Was that who came there? Oh, that's, yeah. It wasn't um, the British, though, was it? No. 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 Um, was it the French? No, it's a Spaniard. Ah. Louis Vaz de Taurus. Aha. Uh-huh. It went through there in the 1600s. That's right. Like the Dutch were here in 1606. Yeah, so that was that was a long time ago. Um, See, we could have ended up having the Spanish take over the continent if they knew it was existing. Did they? Did they take over? Did they 
dominate any part of Torres Strait at the time? No, I don't think so. No. They just went through there, so they recorded that, what's the name? Yeah. Um, um, but anyway, the Torres Strait then is, is that region. Now, we as Torres Strait Islanders, we are uh, part of the Melanesian people. So there's a distinct line between us and the Aboriginal people of this mainland. But because um, the Australian international border runs right up on the top part, um, probably only a couple of kilometres off the coast of Papua New Guinea, so our more, most northernest point in the, in, in the nation in, a, in Australia it would be Boigo Island, Boigo. So that's right up next to the coast of Papua mm. New Guinea. Mm. So the whole of the Torres Strait then is taken in. And because we're part of the, 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 the Australian nation, we then become part of the indigenous people that were here before colonisation. So it was Torres Strait Islanders uh, alongside the Aboriginal people. Um, but one thing I'd like to say is that a long time ago, the Melanesian people understood that this country was occupied by the Aboriginal people for, for, since time immemorial, for quite a long time. So there was that respect. So we stayed within our boundaries. But what happened is that there was net, there's, a, there's a network of relationships that, of course, is right across this country and this continent here, but that network extends across the Torres Strait, across all the different islands, and into 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 Papua New Guinea, and I'm sure right into Tasmania. Mm. So that network in our songlines um, held a lot of power in support and respect, and how we walk on people's country, how we um, how we have that relationship between each other. And through those, that, that relationship, we could trade and we could keep in peace. We, we didn't have to fear one another because of that respect. Now, that's something that, that, that has kept the whole region, this whole country, vibing and surviving for many, many thousands of years. So in there, in that history, that knowledge, that spirit are the answers for how we can survive as a nation of people respecting each other. Now that's something that today this country needs to become better at. How, you know, it, this is deeper, deeper than what reconciliation can do, uh, what it's supposed to do. And we'll unpack that. At a later stage, yeah. Yeah. Even when we're looking at, for example, um, closing the gap. Another you know? good topic for you. <laughs> Another thing. That, Both yeah. of us, yeah. See, see, these are the things that are, that are like the voice, um, even the Mabo decision, um, the statement apology. Statement of the heart. Statement of the heart. Yeah. All, all those things are part of um, the, the, the history of. Bringing them home report. They're all, they're all part of the, mm. the, the political agenda yep. when we're looking at how, how to, the, the advancement of Aboriginal Shoshana people. But in that history, we've fumbled, fumbled along the way. Mm. Now, um, 
we can say that a lot of the blame is to do with with government, with um, those those in positions of power, and, and the institutions, wasn't it? The institutions, but yep. like it, it's it's there's always someone at the head mm. that says, okay, well, we're going to follow this pathway. Yep. Now we can blame that that head and say, like, okay, it could be the prime minister of the country, um, it could be our premiers, it could be you know. Because they they're seen as as the head of our leadership. Mm. You, you know, when you unpack that and you read Thomas Keneally's book around um, the Commonwealth and its formation, um, when Governor Philip came here uh, with the first fleet, you know, with fourteen hundred convicts, he was instructed to build a relationship with the, as they called it, the natives. You know, they knew there were people on this land that was known and cited and had some interaction with um, Cook's exploration, which was, what, 1770. So you're talking eight years later when they came here after they'd been booted out of North America, you know, setting up their penal colonies. Um, Governor Philip, my understanding of reading some of the history is that he was given the, um, that you must build a deeper understanding. They'd gone through different islands, I believe, out in the Pacific, you know, and they had a particular idea that, you know, darker-skinned people would act this particular way or they thought they would just all be able to speak to each other. I think they brought a Maori uh, leader, a chief over at the time, to try to interpret and there was no bridge for those languages to be shared, you know. They hadn't actually understood each other. And um, Governor Philip was the one responsible, but of course he had military and other people in power within his um, settlement, you know, in, on the first fleet, 11 ships, that didn't have the same idea. They just wanted to start to, you know, tease and agitate the First Nations people on the land. And that's why he got speared, remember. Um, a year or two later uh, in that journey he was here. And then, of course, the next governor came in and he had a very different idea about what should happen. And you're right, it's the people at the top, you know, in charge of those institutions that um, misread the situation. And then, you know, fast forward to 2008, you know, Kevin Rudd stands up and apologises on behalf of the government on all the injustices that occurred and all the dispossession and all the, you know, pressure to lose culture and lose language. And I think here we are at a very well, interesting stage where a lot of the younger people are starting to explore their well, see, culture the thing again for now, me, aren't they? The thing for me, Greg, is that, see, this is where it's a, it's a dangerous point. History is there. You can't change it. Mm. But it's what we interpret from it and how we look at that history and where we go from here. Because history can say, okay, because of this, yep. you need to follow this pathway. Um, but we could look at it and say, okay, and be angry because of that past mm. and then keep the pain going by causing this country to to to, to pay, you know, and, and we need to hold it to this country to account. Or we can walk another way and say, okay, that history has happened, but they were misguided. 
So one we need to do now is heal the pain of the past and begin a whole new way forward. And recognise it. Well, we recognise it. Yeah. But if we live there, yep. then we, it's, it's hard to move forward. It's like a victim stuck in a... Well, that's a, it. You know, in a, in a, like, what's that, like a, a mud pool that just wants to suck you back in and you can never rise out of that because you just keep... And that's what we're stuck in. Mm. That's what we're stuck in. That's what I fear. Yes. Um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australia are stuck in. And the more we keep going, and I, and I say this respectfully in, in a way that says that, um, for example, I had the opportunity of sitting around the table of the Healing Foundation that came out of the apology. Mm. Now, that that apology, it took the, um, respectfully, the madness of Kevin Rudd, if I can put it that way. He took he, he had the courage, even against um, his predecessor, um, John Howard, said, no, I'm, I'm not going to, I am not going to apologise because the, the voters of this country don't want to go down that road. But Kevin Rudd said, no, I'm going to do it anyway. And it's interesting. And, and when he did, when he did, the, the, the dynamics, the shift, because as an Indigenous person, you never thought something like that could happen in our lifetime, you know. I remember that moment. A lot of emotion that a lot was of emotion. bottled up, wasn't it? That came yes. Out. Yeah. And, you know. Well, I'm getting goosebumps even just thinking about that well, moment. On, on TV, yep. nearly every channel was uh, had, had the apology. So everyone, I was at um, Bachelor Institute at that time. The whole institute stood still. You mm. can hear people crying. Mm. Crying with that incredible emotion of, wow. We felt it felt a, a place of pride to be an indigenous person, because finally this country is moving to a place that we can walk some kind of freedom. So out of that came the the Healing Foundation. Now, I, me personally, what I wanted to see is that there there, there became an opportunity. You know, okay, where do we walk from here? Mm. There's a deep history because the apology came out from the stolen generations. Now, the stolen generations is such a a nasty part of our history mm. that we need to put in the past. And that's like four or five generations of um, people stolen from their families and uh, taken down to, I mean, in Queensland, you know, Baramba, um, which is now Sherberg, you know, that was the mission. And all over the country they put, people and drag them away or walk them away from their mob and tried to just bring them all together. You ended up with, what, something like a 100 different nations in some a place like Sherbrooke and I can imagine in Adelaide it was similar and in South Australia as we know it and Western Australia. Well, there's, there's a lot of that history. Yeah. But look, look, I'm trying to say, if we put a microscope on it, then we'll get stuck in it. Yes, totally. So it's it's how we move to a place because all that history is there, and and and, and interesting. And if we're interested in it, mm. if we're interested, we can, you can go and have a look at it. Oh, there's plenty of plenty of books mm. about all of these things, and a lot I've got on the website for people if they're interested to know. But you know, you only have to Google it, and you can go yeah. down. The stolen generation created the United Nations to build a thing called the Bring Them Home Report, and that became a video that you can. 
watch for 40 minutes on YouTube for free. It's sitting there now, captured the stories from the people. Uh, so what was that, about 1997? With the apology, you know, and yes, Kevin Rudd came in and said it, but all the churches have now, since then, have now all apologised too because remember, you know, it was this conglomeration of different institutions that were doing the trauma and creating that um, that sort of generational trauma that people were carrying. They came out but there wasn't sort of the major television coverage. Um, you can find it online. You know, the Baptist Church apologised, the Catholic Church apologised, the Anglicans have apologised and they're all from, you know, them recognising that they too or their their predecessors had made yeah. bad choices, you know. Yeah, but I think it's it's got to go. I don't know. This is where courageous and innovative leadership needs to step up. Mm. That's what this country is lacking: is that courage to do that courage to to step forward and do what nobody else will do. And for me, Kevin Rudd um, gave that example by doing that. You know, people didn't like him. People didn't like him for what he did, but in terms of the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, he became a hero because he had the courage to do so. Yes, and it's interesting. <laughs> so so what we need to do now, mm. and from here, we need to learn from as a people into the future. Yeah. What's needed is courageous and innovative leadership. Now, I think for me, there's big confusion between what a manager does and what true leadership's about. Mm. You know, we're making managers become leaders. And when you're a manager, what you do is you you um, you look at risk. So you stop people from going ahead by trying to lead people to, to, to stay within, within the safe environment. What we need is a leadership to say, look, um, for us to break this mould and move forward, we've got to go where we think um, it might be dangerous. But at the other side of crossing this dangerous river is freedom. So what? that's that's what we need to do. That's <clears throat> that, that courageous and innovative leadership. And one of them was um, um, Uncle Kweki, Eddie Mabo, and the plaintiffs. They got attacked by their own people, Torres Strait Islanders, and they fought for 10 years and a lonely journey, the, mm. the, the brotherhood within the plaintiffs, you know, to stand strong and after 10 years, they created something that, that the world is looking at, Indigenous people across the world is looking at, you know. So that should be a great model for all of us to look at. How do we move into a space that um, that says it'll, it's going to give us freedom, but it's not freedom from us being fighting with the tools of the the... the the power of the Western world. Not the weaponry. Not not that weaponry. No. And that's what we're trying to do by by going into Parliament. We're trying to fight with their tools. Which is politics. And I, I get politics. the sense I get the sense that a lot of the solutions that aren't getting sort of talked about in the in the broader um, scene, um, it's a spiritual sort of understanding, a deeper for, for us to heal. You know, it's even for, you know, the 
the uh, first settlers, you know, the convicts generation, all the new migrants that have come here and don't understand the history, we, um, we need to understand that First Nations people already had a very deep connection, and you can, you can unpack this a little bit more, to their sense and place around land and country that probably it has a different um, interpretation for people from Europe or Britain when they came because they brought with them their food supply, which was their sheep and the cattle, which actually affect, affected deeply a lot of the ecosystems that were already here quite, um, you know, the living uh, plants and animals that already existed were being shifted from this sort of import um, coming in from overseas. And where I'm going with this is the dreaming, all of the type of, um, I suppose, the, the, the way that First Nations people held themselves together and Torres Strait Islander people in a spiritual way. So if we're going to heal this country, we need to have some understanding of that um, how that connection, and you've talked to me about this prior to this conversation, around how if we heal, it has a sort of a symbiotic relationship with the land itself. Do you want to unpack that? Do you know where I'm going? Well, well, see, this is the, this is the sad part of it all. Is that um, um, like for us to move forward? I might consider sit at the table and say, "Okay, come on, Greg. Now let's let's you know." Um, if I'm willing to say, I'm not going to hold you to account anymore. I will sit at the table and, and we move forward. But if you're going to keep yourself to account and you're feeling guilty about what's happened in the past, then how can we move forward? See, in our conversations so far. Um, Today, Greg, is that you've, you've you've really tried to look at that history and that nasty history mm. that we that you know. And if you keep thinking about that, then I can't walk forward with you. Mm. You see what I mean? Yeah, beautiful. You we know get that. So what I'd like to do is set set up set up us and and that's the beauty of our cultural way mm. is that um, and what I'm trying to teach at the moment is the philosophy of the island mat. And on that mat, we welcome people. Come and we sit down. We go eat. We share food together. And when you eat. You bring peace and happiness because you're you're sharing good food. And when you're sharing good food, then that sets a platform for us and I start walking because we can joke, we can laugh, we can, you know, and then we move together forward. That's what I'd like for us to look at as a nation, how we move together. We're going to bury the ills of the past. We're going to stop the blame game. We'll stop being victims because how can we sit at some kind of treaty as a sovereign nation we can't be sitting there as victims. It'll never happen. We can never move this country forward. So we've got to sit on that on that mat and share it as one people of this country. Uh, Uncle Charles, I think that's a great place to yeah. end this first podcast. And I think... Um, let's talk more in the next one. Let's talk more and unpack that. I think that's great. So thank you, everyone. Don't thank forget you. that how to find us is um, walkingthreeworlds.com with the number three. And the message, 
The message will have its own website over the next few weeks. It will have also Facebook, of course, and and all the social media platforms eventually. We just wanted to get this started so that the message has a platform for Uncle Charles to bring in guests, to even have sometimes where he just reflects yeah, and that he has an opportunity and they can be short bursts, you know, 15 minutes of his wisdom. Um, I think this is a wonderful platform to get started and I'm hoping you've enjoyed this and we'd love to have some feedback. You can find um, Charles Passy online, but you'll also find The Message. We'll set that up this week. Yeah. And Walking Through Worlds, you can find me as well there. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this at home or on the car or wherever you are and we'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.